0: It doesn't matter where I'm employed as a park ranger. What does matter is my secret job, the thing that I do when I'm off the grid, so to speak. A werewolf started appearing about six months ago, and I'm still not sure why. At first, we got calls from visitors saying they encountered grizzly bears, or something approximating one, deep in the forest. For the first few months, we got maybe a dozen calls. After that, things really started to ramp up. Daily, or rather nightly, sightings. Despite that, no one could really get a good look at the thing everyone assumed to be bear. Then my boss showed up, a man I rarely saw. He tossed a Trank dart gun at me and told me to head into the woods. Whatever you do, don't kill the thing. Based off the information we've been able to gather, this is no damn bear. Something possibly supernatural. Does this have anything to do with Elijah's disappearance last month? Something killed Elijah, and we never found the body. James only gave a slight nod, something that could be denied later if asked. The less you know, the better, Liam. Just take your truck and head into the woods. I'll mark the most recent sighting on your map. "'James said, crossing his arms and giving me a look that told me not to ask any more questions. "'But I couldn't help myself. "'Guess some weird government agency is involved in this if you're telling me not to kill it. "'You'd think the safety of the visitors would come first. I said. "'But James cut me off. "'Now, officially, that's none of our business, Liam. "'Just taking orders. You'd be wise to do the same.' So I closed my mouth and got to work, loading my vehicle with some last-minute things I thought I might need, food or water or binoculars. Then I got in the truck and drove down the winding road. I decided to not get on the walkie because I didn't want to alert James. My plan was this, pick up Bill, my partner in crime, more or less, at his usual patrolling location, then head off to where the location James marked on the map and see if we couldn't tag-team this thing. I caught Bill just sitting in his patrol truck, reading an Agatha Christie novel and smoking a cigarette. I remember him telling me how relaxing he found it. Being out here, not a care in the world, tending to his biological needs, the cigarette and the needs of his higher brain, the Agatha Christie novel... Hey, Bill, we got a situation James wants us to look into. Bill looked up from his novel, mildly irritated. What kind of situation? Gotta trank something. You know, that thing that everyone thinks is a bear but probably isn't. Why, trank instead of kill? Yeah, I was wondering that, too. Anyway, hop in, good buddy. We got a long night ahead of us, and that's putting it really mildly. Bill got in and we drove off in the direction of the last sighting. I filled Bill in on what little I knew. Guess the thing that really concerns me is why now? Why a month after Elijah's death? Bill asked, thumbing through the book in his hands. But not really reading it. That caught my attention, too. I don't know the reason. I just know that something fishy is going on. Then that's when we saw it. A large, hairy beast running on all fours, then randomly standing upright and roaring. Our headlights seemed to confuse the thing. Bill took out his pistol, rolled down the window, and fired. Bill, what the F are you doing? No legal force is allowed on this thing. We gotta use the Trank gun. The thing, which upon closer inspection looked exactly like a werewolf, just roared and charged at the truck. "'grabbing its bottom and shaking it violently "'until Bill and I were completely disoriented. "'It then leapt into the trees. "'What the F is wrong with you?' "'I said to Bill again once my head stopped spinning. "'I said no lethal weapons!' "'Sorry, Liam. "'Just got rattled is all. "'Wasn't going to get turned to human paste "'because a pair of government-issue sunglasses "'told us not to us actual bullets,' "'Bill replied, face flushed. Well, after that, I began to drive again, keeping our eyes peeled for the werewolf. We heard howls coming from the infinite line of trees to our left. No matter how much we combed the woods, we didn't find anything. This went on for several nights, experiencing horrific sightings of the massive man. Wolf, I went by myself after the first night because I didn't trust Bill not to fire bullets at the thing. James was ripping me a new ass because I couldn't track the damn thing down. At least not keep it in my sights long enough to track it. On the fourth night, I sat in my truck on the side of a wide road, scanning the eerily still line of palm trees. My ears pricked as I heard the soft crunch of twigs as tired crushed them. I peeked in the rearview mirror and saw a sleek black car parking behind me. A short woman with red hair came out of the car, using precise movements so that not one ounce of energy was wasted. "'Are you Liam?' the woman asked, popping into my window like she was a cop about to give me a ticket. I heard the trees rustle behind her and began to perspire a little on my forehead. "'I'd tell you that you shouldn't be out this way, Mom, since we've seen had a few bear sightings out this way, but—' I started— I don't mean to be blunt, but I outrank park rangers. Again, not trying to be a jerk, just stating a fact. The woman seemed fairly young, and her smile sent a shiver down my spine because it was so emotionless. She explained to me what was going on. She worked for a government agency, one I hadn't heard before, and they had been working on a serum to reverse the transformation of the werewolf. They were hoping I could sedate the thing before it did any real damage or chose to move on to an even broader wilderness. There's been a reason why this werewolf has been so good at evading you, and I'm not sure it has anything to do with it having preternatural abilities, the woman said. She finally introduced herself as Sarah Perkin. Here, take this drink gun. It comes with a special tranquilizer that will not only sedate the werewolf, but also hopefully reverse his transformation. It hasn't been tested on his kind, since we believe he is the only one of his kind that exists. Sarah said and handed me a much larger gun than I had, which had a small tube filled with yellow liquid fitted onto the top. She had one for herself, too. We hurried into the woods, following the howls, until I felt like we were dangerously close. Sarah scanned the environment, looking more vigilant than nervous. Okay, maybe a little nervous, but she hid it remarkably well. As for me, I was terrified. Not afraid to admit that since I didn't have special government training to deal with a friggin' werewolf, The trees all around us began to rustle, and before I could really get my bearings, the massive hairy beast shot from the top of one of the trees and landed on the ground. My hands shook. I tried to steady my gun, except my nerves wouldn't let me. Steady, I said, steady. But I just couldn't calm my shaking hands. The beast slowly moved closer on all fours, fierce yellow eyes fixed on me. A pound of drool must have escaped from its jaws, hanging from them in thick, disgusting streams that made me want to vomit. It swiped the air with massive claws growling. Just as I thought I was a goner, I heard the sound of a whisper whizzing by at about a hundred miles an hour, landing in the beast's hairy, bulging neck. Without thinking, I fired my own gun. The dart landed in the thing's abdomen. It growled weakly and collapsed onto the ground. Sarah didn't waste any time. She ran toward the thing and placed a small chip deep into the fur of its right arm. Tracking device, she said as its breathing slowed. The or transformation dart did what she claimed. The beast began to shrink. The fur started to go back into the skin. It all happened so quickly that at first I didn't believe what I was seeing. I went over to the man who shivered and rubbed his arms. The transformation had taken a toll on him. It took me a minute, but I recognized the man. Elijah, I said under my breath, you're alive. How is this even possible? Well, congratulations, Sarah, a man's voice said from behind. You got a subject X first. You won the bet? I turned around. Bill. Bill, what is going on? I asked, tone clearly frazzled. Sarah jumped in. We work at the same agency. We had a little bet going. Whoever got to the werewolf first could do with it as it pleased. Kill it or trank it and put a tracking device on it. Of course, my way aligned with the agency's. Bill here is a renegade wants to eliminate everything in sight. Bill gave a soft chuckle. Well, guess I got what I want either way. "'Bill said, grinning and patting me on the back as he walked past me. "'He knelt in front of Elijah "'and seemed to pluck one of the remaining werewolf hairs "'from one of its forearms and put it in a small glass vial. "'Then Sarah and Bill seemed to be talking in code, "'and I couldn't at all parse what they were saying. "'Bill came up to me afterward. "'Okay, Liam, we better get out of here "'before that trank dart wears off. "'Looks like the serum's effects were only temporary.' It'll completely change back into werewolf form in less than 15 minutes. Part of the transformation has already begun. The sedative will wear off in about 10 after that. But don't worry, we can track the thing with the device Sarah put on it. So we all left. Sarah in her sleek government vehicle and Bill and I in our park ranger truck. You can't tell James that I work for a government agency that hunts a werewolf, he said. Now, I wanted to kill the thing, wipe it off the map, but Sarah had other plans. I have to respect the bet. I lost. She won, which means that Elijah will be roaming the woods, and we have to track him every night, study him. After a while, once the agency has all the information it needs, it will either give a kill order, and I can deliver a bullet to the thing's brain, or it will come up with a serum that will permanently erase Elijah's werewolf tendencies. So, with Bill's help, I track Elijah every night, using regular trank darts to sedate him. We take hair and skin samples, put everything into stainless steel containers that get shipped back to a secret government lab. They're working on a serum, just like Bill said, one which will be permanent. I've learned to accept Bill's new identity, aspiring werewolf killer, I'll deal with it when the time comes. I think I have additional problems to the fate of Elijah because I've gone to the workman's cabin, seeing Bill with those strange yellow eyes more than once. I'm not sure if he is a full-fledged werewolf because he's been with me every night and I just see him in his human form. Except sometimes, as we are driving along, I'll see his eyes turn yellow under the deep shadows cast by the moon. Something is clearly different. Did the sample he took from Elijah that night have something to do with it? I feel trapped in this situation. Bill seems something else besides human, and I can't abandon my post without making him suspicious. I also don't want to abandon my post because I feel like I have a duty to the visitors here to keep this werewolf at bay. And I do agree with Sarah, given the circumstances. I don't feel comfortable ending the life of a fellow park ranger. Bill's a relative newcomer, and I worked with Elijah for years before he disappeared. I don't want to give up on a fellow ranger. To be continued. So my husband and I were watching a scary movie. We don't usually watch scary movies, but we thought it would be fun since our kid was staying with his grandparents for the night. About halfway through the movie, we got bored of it and decided to call it a night. It was around 11.30 p.m. We were watching it in our bed, so we just turned off the TV and lights and laid down. Within maybe 30 seconds of turning off the movie, I hear a man talking. It sounded like it was coming from our basement. We live in a log home, and we sleep in the loft, which is open to the rest of the house. The stairs leading up to our room are made of half-logs so you can peer through them and see down into the stairs leading directly below into the basement, which also has no door. At first I thought maybe I was imagining it. I have auditory hallucinations before I fall asleep all the time, so I thought that's what it was. We have a German shepherd who sleeps at the top of the stairs in the loft with us, and she hadn't seemed to notice anything. About 10 seconds after hearing the voice, I hear several other sounds, sounds of something moving in the basement, jostling and gentle thuds. At this point, my husband whispers, did you hear that? And I'm like, yes. And he says, it sounded like a man talking. And I'm like, OMG, yes. So he jumps out of bed. Puts on his robe, gets the gun, and starts checking around the house. I have my phone up, ready to dial 911 if need be. He starts in the basement. Nothing. All the windows are closed and locked, and the alarms on them are undisturbed. Same with a sliding door. We check the rest of the house, and still nothing. I'm super freaked out at this point. He has to get up early for work, so we go back upstairs to our bed. He goes to sleep. But I'm too freaked out, and I stay up with a lamp on ready to attack the sneaky intruder until around 2 a.m. when I was too tired to stay up any longer. I heard a couple more strange noises up until I fell asleep. Most of them I attributed to the house shifting. My box fan made a high-pitched squealing noise a few times, which I've never noticed before. Almost sounded like bats squeaking. I just cannot relax about the situation because I can't come up with a solution as to why this happened. The house was secured. There's no way anyone could be inside. We live in a rural area and know our neighbors. They don't wander around our property. It just doesn't make sense. The voice didn't sound particularly threatening. It sounded like a country boy talking to his buddy. Not super loud, not quiet, just a casual interaction. Get it? I previously selected the wrong tag for this post. My bad guys. I don't believe in ghosts. If I see someone I don't know and trust, like on TV, for example, telling a ghost story, I struggle to believe them. That being said, I had an experience when I was around 10 years old that I'm going to share today. This was in approximately 2003. My friend and I were walking to football training. I live in a quiet countryside town in Scotland. To get to the football training we would walk past the tennis courts as it saved a lot of time. The tennis courts are located at the bottom of a wide open, grassy area. Next to the tennis courts is a sloped section of ground that runs the length of the court. I think it's meant to be the stand where people can sit or stand and watch. It's sort of like a grassy pyramid that's been stretched out in length. There is a path that leads down to the stand and just stops. On the far side of the stand is a small wooded area. We were on the path walking toward the tennis courts. It was broad daylight. No one is around. The wooded area briefly falls out of view as the path is on a slight decline. We walk up the hill of the stand onto the main body of it, and there is a woman standing at the trees. She has stood with her hands clasped in front of her, looking directly at us. My friend and I are walking toward her. She has stood between a fence and a small stream that's guarded by a waist height fence. We walk the length of the court, now less than ten meters from her. She hasn't moved, she's just continued to stand and stare. We turn at the bottom of the court now, with our back to her. We haven't said a word, but we looked at each other and ran. The woman was gray in appearance, but wasn't transparent or anything. She looked like a real person, but she was a sort of uniform color, washed out looking, clothes included. It's quite hard to describe. She didn't move once. And I don't mean she just stood still. She didn't move at all. She was three-dimensional, but it was like she was a cutout that had been placed there. My first thought wasn't, oh my God, it's a ghost only afterward did we realize what might have just happened. There is nowhere this woman could have came from. There are two meter fences blocking everywhere apart from the far side entrance to the tennis court and the approach we used to get there. The far side entrance line of sight is never broken. The stand only obscures a part of the wooded section for a moment. She simply was not there. We broke line of sight for five. 10 seconds, and there she was. The village I live in is small. I had never seen this person before, and I haven't seen her since. For a good 10 years, that area would terrify me at night. I would hug the fence until I had to turn my back to the area. We saw at which point I would run. Doesn't matter how muddy the grass was. It was genuinely too frightening to care about the condition of my shoes. I don't know how to explain this. I tell people I don't believe in ghosts if they ask, but I always offer this story as a consolation. Looking back on it, I wish I spent more time looking at her. As it was happening, despite not realizing what I was potentially looking at, the unbroken eye contact was unsettling. It made it difficult to look at her. That friend and I don't speak anymore. We haven't for around 15 years but I bumped into him in the town about four years ago. The first question I asked him once the greetings were over and done with was, "'Remember we saw that ghost?' he said, "'I do, mate, I.'" So a few years later, my cousin and I went out to check deer feeders or stands. As we were crossing a field to get to a deer stand that was set up on poles eight, ten foot off the ground, we noticed what we presumed to be a head peering over the top of the wall watching us. We were a good one hundred yards off, but it was obvious that something was in the stand. My cousin wanted to go check it out, but I got spooked. I don't know if it was that uneasy feeling of predation or my past encounter with vagrants at our lease but I talked him out of confronting whatever was up there. We hustled back and told our dads what we had seen. We went back to the stand, but didn't see anything watching us this time. So we crossed the field, climbed the pipe ladder to the landing and found open cans of soup, some dirty clothes and a mutilated fawn. Whoever had been squatting in our deer stand, had killed and was eating a young deer without benefit of cooking. As far as we could tell there was blood everywhere could this be sasquatch we never did run into whoever was surviving out there fortunate for him because i was ready to shoot anything that moved after that that's the last of my experiences as you can imagine i didn't enjoy going to deer leases as a kid My partner and I first heard these stories from a co-worker who overheard another officer talking about it. We thought and were convinced they were making the whole thing up. But one night, me and my partner decided to drive around the park to see if we can find anything weird for ourselves. We head down this lone dirt road, tall grass on either side, and suddenly three deer burst out in the dark to our right. Our headlights caught them moving just as they ran into the trees on the left so naturally we could tell they were being chased by something. We turned off the headlights and began moving very slowly, keeping an eye out for anything big. We drove slowly, more and more down the winding road, until finally something came into view in front of us. It looked like a large, hairy man crouched over. And as soon as it came out, you could just see its silhouette against the cold night sky. And since it was so dark, I couldn't see much. But the thing kind of turned around and began moving in our direction, and then moved away. As soon as my partner and I saw it, we got this really weird feeling, like something terrible was about to happen. So we quickly turned our headlights on. By that point, it was already gone. We pulled out of there, left pretty quickly. I don't even want to acknowledge what that could have been. I don't think I'm ready to accept that reality just yet. My uncle usually hosts winter parties at his house every year. One year, his basement was flooded, so we had no choice but to hold the party somewhere else. It was held at a nearby lodge. On the side of the lodge was a road, and across the road was a small section of trees with a pond in it. An hour or two before the party ended, my cousin and I were outside near that road. We heard a noise coming from the trees, which sounded like something stomping in the pond. Note that when I say stomping, I really do mean stomping, not just some animal swimming around in there, like something was deliberately and forcefully doing God knows what in that pond. My cousin and I went inside and told our other cousin, and the three of us went back out. Being teenagers and all, we decide, hey, let's throw rocks. So that's essentially what we do. A few rocks in, another rock lands in front of us. Whatever was in there threw a rock back. We all went back in and told our other cousin, our older and more smart cousin, who decided, hey, let's go over there. We start heading over to the trees, and pretty much as soon as the older cousin sets foot on the grass, the stopping gets faster and louder, as if whatever it was was running at us. We all ran back into the lodge and stayed inside for the rest of the night. True, this could have been a person, but it just doesn't make sense. What were they doing in there that late? What were they doing in there at all? I still think about what it could have been. It doesn't help that my cousins don't even remember. So there's a mountain range known as Kerkano, separating Poland and the Czech Republic. About eight years ago, I was coming back from Prague to Roklaw and missed the last bus from the Sikh side. Hurach off to the Poland side, Sklarska Poraba. It was summer, about 7 p.m., so there was still a lot of light. I decided to cross the mountains through a low pass, figured I'd reach Poland before dawn. The journey had been uneventful until about 2 a.m. That's when I started hearing a high-pitched wailing sound. It sounded a lot like a whale's call. It felt terribly sad and lonely. I started looking around, searching for its source. The moon was high and the sky was clear, so the visibility was really good. I saw it among the trees, about a 100 meters from me. It was moving slowly, carefully testing the ground before proceeding. Its siren's call made me shiver. The creature looked like a giant spider with a bat's head placed on a long, thin neck. Its ears were huge and probably highly sensitive. It turned its head as if noticing my presence, but it didn't seem to mind me and continued to move slowly and wail. It was about three meters long, one five meter tall. It didn't do anything paranormal except for, well, existing. What I felt wasn't exactly terror. "'It was more of awe and profound sadness. "'I remember thinking it might be the last one of its kind, "'that its cause had been a dying song. "'After watching it for a few minutes, "'I proceeded to follow the trail "'and eventually reached the town of Sklarska Porba "'around 5 a.m. "'I remember feeling really strange "'for a couple of days afterwards.' This was on an elk hunting trip. My friend and I was going to meet one of our party at a point on a road in the early evening. While walking along the logging road, we came up on these huge tracks in the road. They were on the road and off the road into the trees, then back onto the road like it was wandering. And also there were more than one size tracks. Some were smaller than the others. The farther we walked, the more tracks we found. By the time we met our friend, we thought we wouldn't say anything and see what he would say about the tracks. He said, Well, I didn't see any elk, but these tracks are all over the place. We headed back to camp, and the next day we headed home. There is no doubt in my mind that these tracks were made by a mighty big creature. The tracks were about 18 inches long. And 8 inches wide on the big ones, and maybe 15 inches on the smaller ones, They had to be very heavy to crush the hard snow down to the roadbed like it did. I've been working as a law enforcement officer in Hancock County, Mississippi, where we have been receiving reports about a large bipedal creature near the Stennis Space Center. I had the unsettling experience of encountering this unknown animal believed to be Bigfoot, and I want to share my account. In my submitted report, I described the creature as a huge being running on two legs at a speed that surpassed anything I had ever seen. At that moment, my main concern was getting away from there without drawing my gun. It happened after I finished my night shift around 11.30 p.m. My girlfriend picked me up, and we headed home together. Once she dropped me off, I started driving north on Highway 607 towards Bay St. Louis. As I glanced in my rearview mirror, I noticed headlights of another vehicle behind me. I decided to slow down, hoping the driver would pass me. To my surprise, the vehicle continued to tailgate me with its high beams on. Annoyed, I gestured for them to turn off their high beams, but they didn't respond. To get a better look or note their license plate number... I gradually slowed down and moved to the side to let them pass. However, as I did so, the vehicle pulled up beside my driver's side door. I pulled my car over to the shoulder of Highway 607, thinking I was about to confront an unpleasant individual. But what I saw standing on the roadside was not a man, but an incredibly hideous creature, a Bigfoot. It walked around my patrol car while I prepared to defend myself, unholstering my firearm. Strangely, the creature showed no signs of fear or aggression towards me. It calmly entered the nearby wooded area, disappearing from my sight. While I am convinced that the encounter was with a Bigfoot, I also want to mention another incident. Inside the buffer zone of the Stenny Space Center around 3.34 a.m., my patrol car mysteriously died. It was a peculiar occurrence that i will include in a subsequent report along with this new information i had a normal upbringing parents are still married went to church on sundays had a dog picket fence all those things i did a little marijuana in high school i rarely drink and there is only one reported case of a mental illness in my family When I was twelve, thirteen years old, I remember having a very vivid dream where I was sitting in my living room, watching TV, while watching TV, which in my dream I was viewing myself in third person. Something made me want to look out through the dining room and out through the large sliding glass door into the backyard. When I turned my head, it was completely dark outside, and then in almost a comedic way of film, This giant moon slid up from below the horizon, like from the 9 to 12 position on a clock. The moon was enormous, almost filling the sky, and was brilliantly white. As I sit dumbfounded in my dream, staring out the back window, something pulls my legs out from under me, while I'm sitting on them on the floor. This startled me, but while in my dream, I'm still staring at the moon, This voice, from what I can only assume, was in my head, said, It's almost over. This frightened me horribly. So much that I woke up hot and sweaty, only to find my bedroom door partially open with a small, dark figure closing the door and saying without moving his mouth, Don't tell. I don't recall really any of the small humanoids' features. I just recall him being about two feet tall and seeing the figure's darker than gray complexion and nothing moved on its face when I heard it speak. Even to this day, this incident is one of the most vivid memories that I have. Seeing your photo of a reptile man was nearly like pulling out a photo of my head from that past memory. I mentioned nothing of this occurrence until just a few years ago to a close friend. I never even told my wife. Well, I went off to college, came back home, got married, had a couple of kids, and just over a year ago bought my parents' house. On and off since the encounter, dream, or incident, whatever you would like to call it, because I don't. I get this feeling like I'm being observed, not the kind of being watched where you are sitting up at night, unable to sleep. And you feel like someone is watching you through the window. More like something is waiting for me as I walk into rooms and sitting in the car with me while I drive to work. This was only in small increments, and I never felt it to be constant. But since moving back home, I am feeling it more so. My son is the fun age of five and recently started talking about some guy he met here at home named Kyle Foker. He tells my wife and I that he has seen him all over the house. Yes, he is a child. With an imagination. But while giving him the twenty questions over his new friend, I am rattling my brain on what TV show, commercial, or movie he could have come up with this, and so far have come up with nothing. While that is going on, I was in the kitchen just a week or so ago talking to my mom, and for some reason I felt compelled to look the other way. Where's that dust coming from? I saw a dark figure. This figure that I saw had an upside down triangle for a torso and a rectangular block for a head. When I turned to look I could tell that it looked at me because while my brain was trying to comprehend what I just had seen, I could see that the blockhead sort of rotated and proceeded to take an immediate left and zip its way through my stairs that go up to our bedrooms. From everything that I know, no one has died on this property. My grandfather that lived with my parents and I, at my current location, for a few years while from the time I was six. Until I was in high school, became ill with Alzheimer's and later passed away, having a complication from a stroke at a hospice center. But I'm afraid partially for my sanity, but more for my family. Although no one has been hurt in any way, I can't help to think like a father or husband and want to protect my family from any possible threat. But my issue here is that what the hell am I dealing with? Possible alien thing, spirit, mental illness, or all of the above? Am I seeing one thing and my son is seeing something else? It was dead in the middle of winter, and he was working on a camp on a remoteish island in the Boundary Waters, far north of Minnesota. On this island is a bunch of different cabins, some for sleeping, some for storing things, and one which has the dining area for the camp. On the one phone on the whole island, my dad received a call from the sheriff from the nearest town. Granted, this town is miles away and across a frozen lake and through miles of forest. The sheriff told him that there was a call for 911 coming from the phone that my dad was talking to him on. He talked to the two other people that were also working up there at the time, both of which were on the opposite side of the island. After checking around to see if there was anyone else there, he went to loom through the other cabins and found nobody. He always tells me that was the only night he slept with a loaded shotgun next to him. I hunt, but I have two stories from the same spot, and I wasn't hunting during either of them. My family was camping in a canyon in southeast Idaho. This location is accessed from northeast Utah. I was about seven at this time, so that would have been around 1981 ish We were on a family camping trip, and it was about nine at night, and we were all hanging out around the fire. I remember this part because it was so weird. All of a sudden, my dad looks at my mom, and in a hushed voice says, Get the kids in the car. Now, my mom was caught off guard and said, What do you mean? And he said back, Get the kids in the car now as fast as you can. Well, my mom was mad, but started telling us to all get in the car, so we all did. After we were all in the car, my dad hoped in the driver's seat, and we backed out of the campground and drove one hour and ten minutes home, leaving everything we brought at the campsite, including the fire burning. I know this is bad, but this was the 80s, and I'm sure none of us had our seatbelts on either. The next morning, my dad and uncle went back up and loaded all of our stuff up and brought it home. Okay, so no flash forward to about 2003, and I'm talking to my older brother about this camping trip. And I ask him why did we leave that night. Well, come to find out, we were being watched by. Well, something. So as my dad was sitting there and he was looking at a line of bushes about 20 yards away, he watched a head walking back and forth behind these bushes. Here is the kicker. The bushes were about six to seven feet tall. I guess my dad watched the thing for about 30 to 60 seconds before it turned its head and looked at us, and he could see the two eyes reflecting back at him because of the firelight. It scared him so bad he made us all go home that second. My brother said he never did say what he thought it was. He just knew it was large and tall. Two. Same spot as camping trip from one. It's about 1995 and me. My friend and younger brother are camping in this same spot because we were going to go fishing the next day. Remember, I did not know about why we left this spot until years after this. It was about two of them and we were all sleeping when down from the canyon to the east of us came the low scream. It wasn't like a woman's scream, it was low, like a man yelling, but that's not even a good description. And the reason I know it came from the East was we woke up to it, and as I was saying, what was that? It screamed again. We did not sleep much that night, and we all put our handguns in our sleeping bags with us. Edit, also that gut feeling people described above, is something I've had many times there. I don't think I have been back there since I found out why my dad left. Not from being scared, but more of, I don't live by there anymore. It was a crisp morning in June 1980 when my friend and I decided to embark on an adventure to visit our friend's newly constructed lean to On Snow King Mountain, near Jackson, Wyoming. Little did we know that this journey would take an unexpected turn, forever etching an encounter with the unknown in our memories. As we made our way up the mountain, excitement filled the air. We relished the opportunity to explore the wilderness and soak in the beauty of nature. However, our enthusiasm quickly turned to trepidation as we stumbled upon something that defied all logic and reason. There, amidst the towering trees and rugged terrain, we came face to face with a sight that would forever haunt us. A hairy man-like creature stood before us, its massive frame reaching a staggering twelve feet in height. Long dark hair cascaded down its hunchbacked form, with arms extending almost to the ground. Fear gripped us as we stared into the creature's simian-like face, which seemed as large as a stop sign. Its heavy breaths filled the air, accompanied by a haunting, moaning growl that sent shivers down our spine. We knew we had encountered something truly extraordinary, something that defied our understanding of the natural world. Instinctively, we turned and ran, desperate to escape the presence of this mysterious creature. To our dismay, it pursued us relentlessly, never relenting in its pursuit. We could hear the creature's eerie sounds reverberating through the trees as we sprinted, hearts pounding in our chests. The chase seemed never-ending, our adrenaline-fueled sprint blurring the boundaries between reality and the surreal. It was as if we had stumbled into a realm of myth and legend, where the lines between human and beast were blurred. Finally, as our strength waned, we reached a streetlight near the Ramada Snow King Inn in Jackson. Gasping for breath, we dared to glance back, hoping to catch a glimpse of the creature that had pursued us so relentlessly, and there it stood under the flickering light, a specter in the night before it vanished into the depths of the surrounding darkness. We staggered back, our minds reeling with disbelief at the surreal encounter we had just experienced. Rushing to the local police, we shared our tale, knowing deep down that few would believe the magnitude of our encounter. The memory of that day still lingers, etched into the fabric of our beings. We were forever changed, forever aware that there are realms beyond our comprehension where creatures lurk in the shadows, challenging our notions of what is possible. Though the world may scoff at our story, dismissing it as mere imagination or trickery, we know the truth. We crossed paths with the unknown, with a creature that defied explanation, leaving us with a profound sense of awe and an everlasting curiosity about the mysteries that lie hidden in the depths of our world. I was driving from Las Vegas to Lake Havasu City in my truck, and it was around 1 a.m. The roads were mostly empty, and the dark night stretched out ahead of me. After passing through Searchlight, I found myself on a stretch of two-lane road with bushes lining each side, seemingly reaching out towards the asphalt. As I cruised along, the monotony of the road started to take its toll on my senses. The rhythmic hum of the engine provided a comforting backdrop to the quiet desert night. But then, out of nowhere, a peculiar sight caught my attention. There, just before I passed, a large bush bent towards the road at an angle of about 60 degrees. It appeared as if something had forcefully knocked it over, causing it to lean precariously. Confusion and curiosity mingled in my mind. None of the other bushes seemed to be affected by the wind or any other external factors. It was an isolated incident standing out like a mysterious anomaly in the stillness of the night. I couldn't shake the eerie feeling that something out of the ordinary had just occurred. Uncertainty filled the air as I continued my journey, my foot pressing the accelerator, propelling me forward at a speed of 90 to 100 miles per hour. The road stretched out before me, seemingly endless, and I couldn't help but steal glances in the rearview mirror, half expecting the bush to have righted itself or to witness some other strange occurrence. Eventually, the two-lane road led me to the freeway, where the atmosphere shifted. The sense of isolation gave way to the presence of other vehicles, their headlights piercing through the darkness. I merged onto the freeway, leaving the enigmatic encounter behind me. As I continued my drive, my mind raced with possibilities, trying to make sense of what I had witnessed. Was it a trick of the light? An odd gust of wind or something entirely inexplicable, the image of that bent bush lingered in my thoughts like a puzzle piece that refused to fit. My cousin recently moved here from Secunderabad, India. On a recent road trip exploring America, we were shooting ships exchanging ghost stories and laughing at sigh and differences between American and Indian ghost stories when I asked her if she's ever experienced anything supernatural. Her eyes widened as she averted her eyes to the window. When the silence was about to be too much for me, she softly responded, yes, a few. One is troubling. In my second year in college, I stayed in an all-girl hostel dorms. I made many friends. We were all delighted to be away from our conservative parents in school. The whole deal was so much fun, but it was an ancient building. Electricity was only put in the rooms. Sometimes candles were placed along the windows if a watchman was present, but generally you were faced with complete darkness once you left the chambers. It's common to wake someone if you need to walk down to the restroom at the end of the hall. We all had a childish fear of being alone in the dark. One night, I had to use the restroom. It was about 4 a.m. I went to my friend's bed and tapped her on the arm. She immediately opened her eyes as soon as I touched her. I apologized for bothering her and told her I needed to pee. She smiled at me and hopped out of bed. Down the hallway, she laughed and danced. I could not see her, but her bangles clanked together loudly, and the bells on her anklets jingled softly. It was very calming. I laughed and sashayed my hips down the hallway with her, too tired to match elaborate arm movements. She said nothing to me, though occasionally I heard her hum, one of our favorite Bollywood songs. The same thing happened on our return. It fell back asleep quickly. One awoke pretty late the following day to the sound of men in our room. They surrounded her bed. I bolted from my bed, prepared to protect my friend, when I realized they were college administrators. I peered over closer. My friend's lifeless eyes were fixated on my bed, the same smile on her face. Her time of death was 11.30 p.m., almost five hours before I woke her. I drove to a local convenience store here near Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, in Monroe County to pick up something to eat. My dog was with me, and it was just before midnight. Everything was normal on the way there, but on the way back, something weird happened. As I approached a stop sign outside of town, my dog started growling. My dog rarely growls, so when he does, I take notice. I looked around and saw a deer walking toward the road from behind a large oak tree. The deer then stepped out onto the road. It's about 50 feet from me, but then the deer starts to walk toward the headlights of my car. As it gets closer, I begin to see its face much clearer. At first, I literally shook my head a bit in disbelief. Then I did a double take. The deer had a freaking human face. There was no elongated nose. No big dark eyes, it was a freaking person's face. The eyes had white surrounding dark blue-colored pupils and was forward-setting, looking directly at me. I just froze. I don't even remember if my dog was growling at this point. I was truly scared by what I was witnessing. It kept looking at me for almost a minute, then it turned and slowing walked to the other side of the road and then walked off into the woods. I stepped on the gas and got the heck out of there. When I got home, I immediately went inside my house and poured a stiff drink. I needed to know what I saw and went online. I stayed up most of the night looking for an explanation for what I had witnessed. I read a few other accounts of what people referred to as not deer, but nothing as dramatic as what I saw. I'm beginning to believe that I witnessed the results of an experiment that went wrong. I found your contact email during my research online. Can you give me an answer as to what I saw? The day was Monday, June 26, 2023. I was walking on the hill with my two Labradors when, out of nowhere, they went into a frenzy. They ran in circles, growling and snapping at the air, until they eventually collapsed to the ground, tails tucked beneath them. Bewildered, I scanned the surroundings and spotted a huge creature at a distance to the side. It appeared translucent, as I could see the grass of the hill through its body, but it was covered in long, charcoal-colored hair. Oddly, it left no trace on the grass. The creature had elongated, glowing red slits for eyes, nose-like holes. Thick lips and stood well over ten feet tall on two legs. Filled with terror, I began to pray, and after a few moments, the creature slowly faded out of sight. I hastily left the hill with my two dogs whimpering close behind me. I was asleep on the couch at my girlfriend's house, surrounded by pitch black darkness. Suddenly a dark figure materialized in the hallway. It had a human-like shape and appeared even darker than the surrounding darkness. The figure's head reached the ceiling, slightly bending forward as if constrained by the low height. I lay there struggling to comprehend what my eyes were witnessing. Attempts to speak proved futile as no words emerged from my mouth. Even my attempts to yell resulted in nothing more than a whisper— The room grew colder as the figure glided forward with an eerie grace. I desperately tried to move, but my body refused to obey, except for an involuntary tremble. The silhouette entered the living room, navigating the walls while keeping its head turned towards me. I followed its movements transfixed as it passed behind the stove and through the stovepipe as if nothing obstructed its path. The dark figure drew nearer and nearer to the couch where I lay now positioned right beside it, staring at the figure, an overwhelming sense of pure evil engulfed me. My mind went numb, and tears welled up in my eyes. Gradually, laughter echoed in the distance, a malevolent, otherworldly laughter. It grew louder, resembling a gathering of people engaged in a chaotic party, with multiple conversations overlapping. Amidst the laughter, I heard a high-pitched woman's voice say, We scared him to death. In that moment, my mind turned to prayer. Summoning all my strength, I cried out, God help me! Miraculously, the dark apparition began to fade until it vanished completely from my sight. The chilling coldness in the room was replaced by the comforting warmth radiating from the stove. It was late night in late October, early November of 1975. I was a 10-year-old child. At that time, I was going through a late bed, wedding phase, and remember I was determined to end that embarrassment. I awoke for the second or third night in time to relieve myself and remember being happy and proud that I caught it in time again. As my eyes creaked open slightly, I saw movement in the room, and at least what I thought were African-American kids in my room moving around. I remember thinking that the only thing they could steal of any value was my prized small black-and-white TV that was on my dresser next to my bed. As you can imagine, at this time my heart was pounding through my chest and just wanted them to take the TV and leave. I creaked my eyes open ever so slightly as not to be noticed and was shocked to realize that they weren't afros, which were common at that time, but were whole heads. I can't really express my thoughts of that instant realization when I saw who was really in the room at that time other than how in a nanosecond I went from. There's no such things as aliens, Two. Oh my god, they're real. To what do they want? At that time, there was no such things as grays or anything similar to what has been so defined into pop culture today. Being late October, early November, there was a harvest moon, and I had a fairly large picture window in my room, which led to some fair amount of ambient room lighting, which I shared with my five-year-old brother, who slept in an adjacent bed next to mine. During this event, I was creaking my eyes open enough as not to be noticed laying on my back when I woke up and my bed covers were at my waist. All I wanted was to get my bed cover up to my head, so I was ever so slowly and methodically creeping them up during this entire event. As not to be noticed, there was a larger one that stood against the wall directly across from the foot of my bed that just stared at me. There was another knelt down on the opposite side of my brother's bed, and what I thought at the time was that he was doing something to his arm. I my head at the time my mind was reeling. My parents' room was directly behind me, and if I screamed, my father would come running in. I remember thinking that the one next to my brother I was taller then, and equated him to being in my grade, remember I was ten. So if he came over to me, my big plan was to jump up and dive on him and scream for my dad— The one against the wall just standing there, I remember, is being a grade or two older than me, and he would probably do something before my dad to get in. I remember thinking I could end the whole debate, that are we alone in the universe, and the weight of that thought being succumbed to, he's killing my brother and not being able to muster the internal strength to do something. My next thought was that if he comes over to me, he can't put a needle in me, so I started to tear up and that diffused my sight to what was happening in the room. Then the one that was knelt next to my brother got up and came at me, pure horror, as my eyes were teared and he rounded my brother's bed and in one motion knelt down on his right knee and in one motion opened his toolkit and twisted and kind of flipped and twisted his left wrist and reached in. At that very moment, I couldn't hold it anymore and thought needle and I made an audible pre-cry wail. The face that the creature made still haunts me today. Honesty, it's the same face people make when they make a surprise mistake. A guy did something embarrassing facial expression. His mouth was just a slit, so when he made that expression, his face rippled and wrinkled like an old man. Immediately, whatever he was taking out of his box, which was a really weird shape, then but not now it was hexagonal with a diagonal opening and handle put it back in got up and they marched out again another part of this is memory that has crept me out is how they moved like the military and moved or better said marched out of my room I was shocked and with unreal timing as I looked down the hallway when they passed my parents' room. Two more came out and filed in line with such precision and marched down the hall and all turned down the stairs out of my sight. Again, I must stress the timing was if they were one. Needless to say, I didn't sleep the rest of the night. My younger brother was fine in the morning and no one in my family knew anything of the night's event. I lived near a large metropolitan area at the time, and our house was the only house surrounded by 260 acres of woods. I only told a handful of people since then, and find it very difficult and seriously doubt many of these accounts I read of Ductions myself. Ironic, isn't it? They were very, very real, and I wish I'd dreamed it, but I didn't. My impression then in my life of the events of that night is that these beings are cold and indifferent to us, Basically, they are not our enemies, but most certainly aren't our friends. There might be a very good reason our government has kept this secret for so long. Being that I live on the coast of M.S., hate all you want, but just know that south of A Tim is nothing like the typical stereotype, which that in itself is far off as well. I have been on and around the water my entire life. I have many stories of crazy things and experiences happening while being on the water, such as dealing with bad weather, lightning storms, water spouts, high seas, etc., which can be awesomely frightening, but the craziest things I have seen have happened while running working on fishing. Charter boats. The one that always sticks with me, and I would also say the most eye-opening, occurred back in 2010 when the Deepwater Horizon oil rig blew and began spewing oil into the Gulf of Mexico. DP, after realizing to a certain extent how vast the spill was, began a program that allowed owners of boats to register and participate in the cleanup of the coastline. Side note. Those that were lucky enough to be accepted into the program sometimes took advantage of an awesome opportunity to do something good for the environment and made some serious money from it, while at the same time preventing others from getting into the program, who would have actually helped. That's somewhat mentioned later, but overall is a story for another discussion. So being that the water that I had basically grown up on was being destroyed, I couldn't just sit back and not do anything. I went and got hazmat certified for this particular instance. Among other certifications and through certain contacts, I first started working on a 127-feet charter boat. This boat normally will go out to the Chandler Islands, located off the coast of Louisiana for several days, nights, and drop. Skiffs in the water where clients were guided around the islands to fish. Also, I would suggest if anyone has the opportunity to go out to these islands do it it's incredible there and uh, fishing is always on point back to story i was working on this boat for about two weeks and then was transferred to an offshore division that consisted of about 10 15 boats these boats by the way were strictly personal fishing and commercial charter boats with the largest being 57 feet and an average price of around one hundred thousand dollars in a couple worth well over a one $1 conservatively. Our job was to leave at 6 a.m. and go out and look for oil or any marine life, etc., that may have been impacted by the spill. If we found oil crude, oil slicks, or anything else out of place or not normal, we'd log it, take pictures, and report it. For about a month we were only finding slicks. One day, we went out about 120 miles, and I'll never forget the sights or smells that day. The crude, we called it mud because that is exactly what it looked like. was everywhere and ridiculously thick, on average six and in some places up to one-fifth. It was like a super-thick putty, and to be honest, is actually really hard to describe. To put this into perspective, though, if you have ever been mud riding or seen a truck get stuck in mud, that's exactly what it was like to these boats but out on the water, and a lot worse. This, over time, destroyed the boats' hulls, among other things, causing significant damage. We were the first group to find the crude and report it coming in, that close to shore also during this time, we found a life jacket belonging to one of the guys who actually worked on the oil rig. Words honestly cannot describe what that was like. It was a very surreal moment to say the least. So we eventually get back to shore, and that's when things start to change. The operation had now shifted to how the hell are we going to clean this up, and what the hell are we going to do with it? It wasn't until this point when we all realized how serious this was. Not only for the coastline, but for the environment as a whole. The next morning at the dock, we noticed that pallets of skimmers and absorbent boom had been dropped off. We were to use the skimmers to round up as much crude as we could, tie off the skimmers into a circle, and place the boom together with the crude inside that would then be brought to Deacon Stations by another division who was assigned that job. These were the shrimp boats. Reminder, our job originally was to just spot, find, take pictures, and report, not necessarily handle the oil, if all possible. To sum up how that operation went, it was complete shit, and that's being nice. It got to the point where instead of myself being the only one who could technically handle the crude on my boat, Everyone else working the boats eventually ended up in type suits, handling this foreign-ass toxic substance in 100-plus degree temperatures for 12-plus hours a day. Side note, each boat had to have at least one hazmat certified person on board at all times, who was supposed to be the only person handling the crude. Also, only four people were allowed to work on each boat in our division. We also ended up getting stranded twice by the shrimpers who decided to call it day at lunchtime, leaving us with no way to move the crude while also not allowing us to leave because we couldn't just leave the rounded-up crude. Unattended. Yeah, absolutely miserable. Nobody could ever have imagined what we were getting into. And along with that, BP themselves had no idea what they were getting into and in their claims of being prepared, and we're on top of this with all available resources. Blah, blah, blah. Was completely overshadowed by the fact that they truly did not know how to run and contain an operation of this size and magnitude, and that was seen day in and day out. This became a day-to-day challenge up until the point when my shady-ass boss got caught being greedy charging BAP for every miscellaneous thing he bought which caused all his boats to be shut down. His first check was said to be upwards of $450,000, and that's rounding it off. During this time, both the employers, the boat owners especially, and employees were making some serious money. What ruined it were the greedy bastards who just couldn't get enough. This, in turn, caused less boats that were actually doing it for the right reasons from being able to make a change out on the water. In total, we worked a little over three months. Going out every day and seeing schools of dead fish, dead sea turtles, and the water that you grew up on literally turned into a mud pit, as that's exactly what it was, was disheartening to say the least. Though all that happened and we dealt with so much, there was one time where we saw that what we were doing might have been helping just a little bit. On one of our last trips, we were about twenty or so miles out past the barrier islands when we could see from a distance what looked like the water boiling and had a red, orange, and yellow color to it. When we got close, we realized it was a school of thousands of redfish and jack crevel that stretched as far as we could see and was about 100 or so yards wide. Being in the middle of that surrounded by these fish just cannot be described with words. It was incredible. And that was the one moment that gave us hope that what we were doing was not a waste and that we were in fact doing something worthwhile. Still to this day, it is the most incredible thing I have seen on the water aside from the oil spill itself. Lastly, just to throw this out there, there is still tons of oil out in the Gulf, regardless of what people say. It's just buried and on the sea floor due to the so-called dispersants that B.P. claimed would break the oil up. It still can be found on the islands, beaches, and marshes. The marine life is just now getting back to normal again in the past two years, and it's only going to get better as long as some shit like this don't happen again. There is so much more that I could talk about from this time, ranging from the oil itself to the things B.P. supposedly did— and did not do. That's all for another day, though. Again, sorry for the long post, but this one experience is always the one I come back to when ask about things I've seen on the water, and with this thread, I felt it should be mentioned.